Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning. My name is James, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Ritchie Brothers Auctioneer's first quarter conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise, and after the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star and then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. I'll now turn the call over to Mr. Zahid Mawani of Investor Relations to open the conference call. Mr. Mawani, you may begin your conference. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on today's call to discuss our first quarter 2020 results. Joining me today are Ann Van Dozi, our Chief Executive Officer, and Sharon Driscoll, our Chief Financial Officer, along with other members of management who will be available for the Q&A portion of the call. The following discussion will include forward-looking statements, Comments that are not a statement of fact, including projections of future earnings, revenue, gross transaction value, and other items are considered forward-looking and involve risks and uncertainties. The risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual financial and operating results to differ significantly from our forward-looking statements are detailed in our SEC and Canadian Securities filings available on our Investor Relations website at investor.richiebrothers.com. We encourage you to review our earnings release in Form 10-Q, which are available on our website, as well as Edgar and Cedar. On this call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. For the identification of non-GAAP financial measures, the most directly comparable GAAP financial measure and a reconciliation between the two, see our earnings release in Form 10-Q. Presentation slides accompany our commentary today. These slides can be viewed through the live or recorded webcast or downloaded from our website. All figures discussed on today's call are in U.S. dollars, unless otherwise indicated. I'll now turn the call over to Ann Fendoza. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. These are truly extraordinary times, and on behalf of all of us at Ritchie Brothers, I'd like to express our deepest gratitude to the selfless individuals on the front lines as we battle this global pandemic. Every day, we are reminded of a few things the critical roles our service plays in the lives of our customers, the perseverance of our employees in the face of adversity, and the resilience of our business, reinforced by our unique technology-enabled multi-channel platform. Before we get into the details of the quarter, I would like to share some insights on the impact COVID-19 has had on our company. As you all know, COVID-19 has created a tremendous amount of uncertainty and financial strain for people and businesses around the globe. And although our business has not gone unaffected, we have rallied and strengthened around a common purpose, which we call our true north, being there for our customers while keeping them and our employees safe. This is our true north, and we are aligned and committed to this common purpose. At a time when our customers need liquidity most, I am so proud of the resiliency demonstrated by our employees and their commitments to our customers and each other. 
One often hears about a company's culture, sometimes a thing difficult to put into words. Well, after just a few months at Ritchie Brothers, I can tell you our culture is all about customer focus, perseverance, and heart. I am proud of how quickly we pivoted our business. In a matter of 96 hours, we transitioned 100% of our business to online sales with flexible work arrangements and our people remotely supported by technology and working in safe environments. It's clearer than ever that our multi-year investments in digital capabilities have prepared us well for this moment, which has turned very much into a competitive advantage for us. It is also important to recognize that we entered the situation with an exceptionally strong balance sheet and liquidity position. And from a financial and business continuity standpoint, we are well positioned to continue operating and creating long-term value for our stakeholders. Despite challenges that arose during the quarter from COVID-19, our team delivered very strong first quarter results. Sharon will take you through the operational and financial highlights, but to deliver 24% earnings per share growth while achieving better than expected outcomes for our consigners in the midst of a crisis is nothing short of exceptional. Now turning to slide five, I will spend a few minutes describing our response to COVID-19. From the beginning of the crisis, we established three key priorities which governed our response effort. First, the health and safety of our employees, our customers, and their families. Second, continuing our operations safely to ensure we were there for our customers. And third, strictly adhering to all safety regulations and guidelines, such as those implemented by the CDC, World Health Organization, and other government entities. There was no compromise there. Our crisis management steering team was swiftly put in place with a mandate to implement business continuity plans while responding to a quickly evolving safety and regulatory climate. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, we instructed employees at many of our offices across the globe, including our corporate headquarters, to work from home on a temporary basis, and we implemented company-wide travel restrictions. Of our non-field-based employees, 94% transitioned and are currently working from home. For our field teams and employees at auction sites, approximately 55% are working remotely while the remainder are working in shifts, alternating between auction sites and home. Through the Ritchie Brothers platform of auction technology solutions, our company was able to largely continue our operations and serve our customers' liquidity needs. In addition to our digital-only solutions, which include our Iron Planet Weekly, Marketplace E, and GovPlanet online auctions, we modified and transitioned all of our traditional live auctions to online bidding. While the live events transitioned to 100% online bidding, sellers were granted access to drop off their equipment to our physical auction yard under the strictest of safety and health guidelines. We were equally able to keep our buyers safe by staggering pre-auction inspections and keeping equipment pickups to similarly staggered schedules. In addition to these steps, we have also implemented measures to change how we physically interact with our customers. 
installing plexiglass protective guards, transitioning away from cash to accepting only electronic payments, and a fierce adherence to hygiene and disinfection protocols. From a technology standpoint, we proactively looked for ways to optimize our transactional websites and customer experience. We quickly scaled up our systems to be able to handle 400% more online activity at a single period of time. As a result of these efforts and others, our business remains operational with limited disruptions. To date, we have only had to postpone four live events due to lockdown situations in certain regions where it was impossible for consigners, buyers, or our employees to be at our site for equipment drop-off or pickup. I'm pleased to say that Los Angeles and Montreal were rescheduled and very successfully executed in April. Moving to the next slide. I'd like to take a moment and discuss how we report our results today using live and online to delineate our business. Online is what you would expect, a fully digital auction experience. But if we peel back our live auction business, we find something interesting. Even before COVID-19, across all channels, 65% of our winning bids were already coming in online. And today, 100% of the live auction is digital. So what then does live versus online really mean? As I've gotten to know our business, I've come to learn that the demarcation of live versus online has little to do with the transaction of the auction itself. The demarcation has to do with where the physical equipment sits. For many customers, they simply prefer to drop their equipment off at our auction sites so we can manage the entire process on their behalf, storing the equipment, inspecting it on site, scheduling delivery post-sale, etc. For other customers, they prefer to hold on to the equipment and for us to provide our services like inspections, title and lien search, closing of the transaction, etc. remotely. The bottom line is this, we are a digital company that also has world-class live operations. This is a key source of competitive advantage, allowing us to be there for our customers, however and wherever they need us. With that, let me transition the call to Sharon to discuss the quarter's operational and financial highlights. Thank you, Anne, and good morning, everyone. We have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to jump right in. Our first quarter GTV was down 2% and was adversely impacted by four auction postponements in Japan, Italy, Los Angeles, and Montreal. For a comparable reference, these four auctions generated $63 million in GTV in Q1 last year. So on that basis and adjusting for these timing differences, our GTV would have been up 3% on a comparable basis. Total GTV purchased online was 75% this quarter, up from 60% in Q1 of 2019. This includes the last two weeks of March, where 100% of all purchases were completed online. In addition, our pure play online GTV from Iron Planet Weekly, Marketplace E, and GovPlanet had robust growth of 17% in the quarter. 
Our live auction GTV declined 6%, primarily due to the auction postponements, or essentially equal to last year on a comparable basis after removing these events from the 2019 base. In the U.S., both the regional and strategic accounts teams once again delivered another strong quarter. The team delivered positive GTV growth across all channels and posted its largest quarter in the history of our U.S. business. The live event growth was particularly impressive as the team rallied to overcome not only the lower comparable year-over-year -year Orlando event, but also the effect of the postponement of our LA auction. The Canadian team came off of a challenging Q4 and were trending well through mid-March, but ultimately posted a decline in GTV for the quarter due to the postponement of the Montreal auction. Excluding this postponement, our Canadian team would have delivered positive GTV growth. Eastern Canada continued to outpace the rest of the country and once again delivered strong results. We also had strong online growth from Marketplace E, which was up 111% in the quarter. GTV in our international group was down sharply in the quarter, principally driven by three factors. First, the international region was already navigating economic uncertainty and a general slowdown in Europe and Asia. Second, we were also cycling strong non-repeating inventory packages from Q1 of last year. And third, the compounding effects of COVID-19. The COVID-19 impacts were more pronounced in our international region as the spread of the virus began in mid-February, resulting in lockdowns and social distancing challenges ahead of North America. With much of the European region region and Asia-Pacific in lockdown, we had to postpone our auctions in Japan and Italy. The international team moved all other live auctions over to online or timed auction lot capabilities. Notably, our Australian team moved their live auction events over to the Iron Planet Weekly Featured Platform and had huge success with that online model in the quarter with both positive buyer and seller reactions. Overall, our operational metrics remain strong, with year-over-year -year growth in most of our key measures. With the shift to 100% online, our digital marketing team kicked into high gear, creating strong demand and bringing the buyer base like no others in our industry can do. Moving now to the financial highlights. Our total revenue decline of 10% was primarily from our 31% decline in inventory sales revenue, partially offset by the 6% increase in service revenues. Commission revenues increased 1%, with fee revenue up 12% in the quarter. Fee revenue was up as a result of our fee harmonization, which incidentally we will lap on June 1st, a higher volume of small lots, and our lake and Gov's Planet auction events. RBFS also produced double-digit revenue growth of 16%. Our operating income was up 1%, driven by our service revenue growth and solid operating leverage, partially offset by approximately 2 million of non-recurring depreciation and amortization and other expenses. These costs relate to the termination of a UK business arrangement for our GovPlanet business unit, 
the collapse of a U.S. property transaction, and executive departures announced during the quarter. Net income improved 26% from the combination of operating income growth, lower interest expenses, a lower year-over-year effective tax rate, and a receipt of $1.7 million of proceeds on contingent consideration from the sale of our Machinio investment in 2019. Before I move on, I would like to inform everyone about a subsequent event, which will need to be considered for Q2. On April 8, 2020, the United States Department of Treasury and the Internal Revenue Service published final regulations related to hybrid transactions that were introduced in the initial U.S. Tax Reform Act. Based on earlier preliminary regulations and in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles, we recorded income tax benefits of approximately $6 million in the 12 months ended December 31, 2019, and $1 million in the three months ended March 31, 2020, which will be effectively nullified by these final regulations. As a result, we will be reflecting an unfavorable adjustment of approximately $7 million in our second quarter earnings. Excluding the impact of this retroactive charge, we expect our go-forward tax rate to be in the range of 25 to 27% for subsequent quarters. Turning to our auctions and marketplaces segment, service revenue was up 8% in the quarter. On a regional basis, U.S. service revenue increased 17% driven by higher fees from our harmonization, GTV growth, and very strong guarantee rate performance versus Q1 of last year. Canada's service revenues decreased 6%, primarily due to lower commissions and fees earned on lower service GTV, as a result of postponing our Montreal event. This was partially offset by an increase in revenue driven by fee harmonization. Our international service revenue decreased 23%, primarily due to lower commission and fee revenue from sharply lower GTV, resulting from the postponement of two live auctions impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and lower, lower overall volume of contracts in this region. On a rate basis, we were pleased with our A&M service revenue rate coming in at 13.5% roughly 130 basis points higher than last year. The rate improvement was due to fee revenue growth from the harmonization, plus our lake auction and GovPlanet sales. Moving on to our auctions and marketplaces segment inventory sales revenue. The 31% decline in our inventory sales revenue was due to lower inventory volumes in our international and U.S. regions, partially offset by stronger performance in our Canadian region. The 31% decline was not attributable to any COVID-19 related impact. Our Canadian inventory sales revenue was up 117% over last year with international revenue declining 58% and our U.S. region also declining 16%. On a rate basis, our implied rate of return on inventory deals in the quarter was 9.5% which was 141 basis point improvement over year over year, and roughly a 400 basis point sequential improvement from Q4. Looking ahead, based on our strong balance sheet, we are very much open for underwriting quality inventory deals. 
but we are applying a higher degree of rigor in our valuations. Moving on to SG&A expenses, our SG&A dollar increase was driven by continued investments in strategic growth initiatives and key growth enablers like technology and improving our customer experience. These investments, combined with higher travel and entertainment expenses through mid-February, accounted for the majority of the growth in our SG&A and were partially offset by lower costs of share-based compensation due to the mark-to-market volatility of our DSU program. Notably, we continue to apply a strong discipline on expense management as our SG&A only grew 3%, which was half the rate of growth of our service revenues. Since the COVID-19 pandemic began, we've been critically looking at our costs across the company, and we are taking steps to manage expenses as we apply company-wide efforts to control discretionary spending where possible and monitor productivity levels in response to the new operating environment. Due to our strong cash position and our ability to keep generating revenues, we have taken some moderate SG&A cost actions to date. We have been able to keep our business operational through this pandemic. The future impacts are uncertain and not easily predictable. Should our business experience material volume declines resulting from increased severity or duration of the downturn, we are fully prepared and ready to take necessary cost actions to optimize our business structure while preserving our ability to rebound when market conditions improve. As over 70% of our costs are fixed in nature, primarily people and site costs, we do anticipate possible erosions to operating margins in future quarters in the event of service revenue declines across certain regions. Our disciplined capital allocation and the substantial efforts we have put into deleveraging our balance sheet over the past three years has made a tremendous difference And as a result, we believe we are very well equipped from a liquidity standpoint to navigate the unprecedented global environment that we are facing today. In addition to our ongoing ability to continue to generate cash flows, at the end of the first quarter, we had $356 million in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash, in addition to available credit facilities of $640 million dollars of which $462 million was unused at the end of the quarter. Additionally, at this time, we are comfortably within our debt covenant thresholds and don't have any material debt maturities until October of 2021. And in this context, our capital allocation priorities shift to cash preservation and investing wisely to support our business operations while continuing to prioritize our dividend. Specifically with regard to the dividend, we currently have no intention to change our approach at this time, but are carefully monitoring the ongoing situation as the pandemic impact unfolds. We have also repositioned our CapEx program to support only essential property spends and our technology programs. As such, we are revising down our full year 2020 expected CapEx spend to now be between 35 to $45 million. Consistent with our directive of repurchasing shares to offset option dilution, we purchased 1.5 million shares for $53 million during the first quarter, 
however, suspended our instructions once the economic severity of the pandemic became clear. Existing authority under our current NCIB share repurchase program expires on May 8th, and we have no intention to renew at this time. Finally, at the end of the first quarter, our adjusted net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio was 1.3 times, well inside of our target ceiling of 2.5 times. We believe we are very well positioned with a strong balance sheet and liquidity position to navigate a multitude of economic scenarios, and we plan to maintain our disciplined approach to investing capital to enhance the long-term value of our company. Before closing our prepared remarks related to our balance sheet metrics, I'd like to provide some color on our operating cash flow for the quarter of $4.1 million, a 94% decrease over last year. There were two primary drivers. First, 2019's Q1 operating cash flow was exceptionally strong as the higher than normal inventory positions held at 2018 year end sold through at our US and European events. And second, our cash flow was negatively impacted by approximately 30 to $40 million due to the postponement of the two North American auctions into Q2. Even with these considerations, on a trailing 12-month basis, our operating free cash flow increased 94% to $228 million. Lastly, I want to touch on our return on invested capital measure of 10%, showing solid improvement from 7.7% in Q1 of last year. We are pleased with our continued progress, and pre-COVID-19, we were on track to achieve our stated evergreen ROIC target of 15% by the end of 2021. However, with our priorities shifting to cash preservation and focusing on stabilizing our business during this crisis, we can no longer commit that this target will be achieved during this timeframe. To conclude my remarks, I would like to thank our Ritchie Brothers Global team for their tremendous effort and results in this quarter. Your dedication, resilience, and commitment to serving our customers is nothing short of amazing. With that, let me turn the call back to Anne. Thank you, Sharon. In these moments of uncertainty, it is clear just how much of an asset and competitive advantage our multi-channel platform truly is. As an example of the power of our platform, in our recently completed Los Angeles auction in April, 84% of the equipment received online bids even before the auction started. Via a feature we call priority bid, which opens up well in advance of auction day. As a further nod to our technical agility, we quickly shifted all our agricultural auctions to timed auction lots. While in Australia, we combined several technologies and offered the market a unique Iron Planet e-reserve solution. The answer of how we were able to act so quickly is quite simple. We were already an online company. COVID-19 highlighted that the spheres between our live and online realms are blurring, interconnected, and strengthen one another. Whether we call it live or we call it online, we are providing our customers with a 100% digital auction experience combined with world-class live operations which manage the care and custody of their equipment, however and wherever they need us to be. 
Before I close out the prepared remarks, I would like to share some considerations on our second quarter. We've aligned our organization around key priorities. First, the health and safety of our employees and our customers. Second, being there for our customers to serve their unique needs. And third, focus on staying well-positioned with a strong balance sheet and ample liquidity. As we look ahead, we expect the uncertain environment to remain and current conditions indicate that Q2 could be the most challenging quarter of 2020. Historically, Ritchie Brothers does well in downturns and we expect that to continue. Q2 is unique because of the uncertainty surrounding the quarter. As all of you can relate, modeling right now is difficult given the number of unknowns. However, let me share some of what we are seeing in our business and in the broader macro environment. Our international region is still very challenged by lockdowns and border restrictions, hindering equipment movement coupled with a high degree of uncertainty around the timing and strength of recovery as international economies start to slowly reopen. We mentioned earlier that our international service revenue in Q1 declined 23%. We expect a moderate recovery in Q2, but still expect the challenging operating environment in this region to continue. Looking at North America now, several forecasts for the U.S. economy are suggesting GDP declines of 25% or greater. The pandemic, together with a dramatic plunge in oil prices, will put more distress onto many of our customers, and without question, many consigners will need liquidity. This pressure may drive incremental supply, but some consigners that are able to may hold on to their equipment and take a wait-and-see approach in this uncertain pricing environment. Equally, if bankruptcies increase, those deals can take as long as 12 to 18 months before equipment finds its way into the auction channel for disposition. A further notable item for our North American business is that we are cycling over the massive $93 million Columbus, Ohio auction from last year, which had a large liquidation package that will not repeat in Q2 2020. Looking at current trends, we're about a month into our quarter, and so far we're off to a reasonable start. Our rescheduled Los Angeles sale was up 17% versus last year, and the rescheduled Montreal sale was 29% above last year, although our Mordike Netherlands April auction was down 74% versus the same event last year, clearly showing the impact of the constraints in our international business. As for the balance of the quarter, it's still early as our auction calendar for the quarter is heavily back-end weighted with the majority of our auction events scheduled in June. Our cautious approach to Q2 is also informed by the macro conditions and headlines. The ABI and non-residential construction data are showing uncertainty and decline, and it is unknown at this point how or when government stimulus can help offset any potential decline in demand for used equipment. Recently announced OEM production cuts and issues around OEM supply chains may affect the availability of new equipment and the release of trade-ins affecting our used equipment supply. 
And finally, rental companies are cutting CapEx and aging out fleets, which could negatively impact equipment that this vertical brings to auction. All in, taking everything into consideration, you can understand why we're viewing Q2 as likely the toughest quarter of the year. As far as looking further into 2020 and the back half of the year, it would not be responsible for us to speculate that far, given the degree of uncertainty and lack of visibility that far out. In closing, while the near term will be challenging, we remain very confident in the strength and resiliency of our business over the long term. I want to thank our employees for their dedication and hard work. There is nothing normal about the situation in which we find ourselves today. And our employees have risen to the challenge, taking the extra steps necessary to keep each other safe and to serve our customers. I could not be prouder to be a part of this great company. With that, operator, please open the line to questions. At this time, I'd like to tell everyone, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. Our first question comes from the line of Michael Dumay with Scotiabank. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Um, first, just congratulations on the successful transition online. Um, so understanding it's still early, um, I wanted to get a sense for one, you know, how long do you expect to maintain online-only auctions? Um, to you know, what long-term implications uh, you see from this transition, um, and three, just you know, where this places you um, amongst your competitors and the implications for market share going forward. Hi, Michael and Fandozi here. Happy to handle the question. So, uh, the the answer to the first question of uh, how long we expect to be online only. Uh, I think we're going to let the surroundings, uh, uh, the, the environment dictate that. Our business has proven that we can continue to operate and candidly thrive, uh, keeping our customers and employees safe uh, while driving a very healthy marketplace. So the timeline of that um, will continue. Your broader questions of uh, COVID-19 learnings, it's actually been, uh, you know, for me, I'm uh, kind of just through my fourth month. Uh, it's been a fascinating journey uh, to see all of the learnings in small ways and, and in very, very big ways. So on the small side of the front, it's been fascinating to see how remote work arrangements can very much work for us, allowing us to leverage uh, talent uh, in many parts of the globe uh, virtually. So that for sure, we were, we're going to take that forward. Uh, but also really dispelling this live versus online kind of dichotomy of our business. So uh, kind of what I said in the prepared remarks. So when you think about the transactions going 100% online, uh, that was an incredibly fast pivot. I want to give a huge nod uh, both to our customers, uh, but also to our sales force to really uh, act as the trusted advisors and change the entire sales process, um, advisory services, everything that we provide uh, to our customers uh, in a virtual uh, way. Uh, but 
Equally importantly, to remember that live still continues and thrives, despite the fact that transactions happen online. Live, again, as I said, is more about where does the equipment sit. So our customers simply prefer the vast majority uh, to drop off the equipment at our auction site. So then we can perform all of the services, inspections, all the way through closing of the sale uh, on their behalf. And that continues even in this environment. Uh, the steps we've taken is staggering the drop-offs, staggering the pickups, uh, ensuring that you know, our employees and customers stay safe. But these are all of the learnings that we're going to be taking forward with us. Okay, great. And just on the last part, thanks, Anne, for that. Uh, and on the last part, how, you know, uh, I guess your competitive advantage stacks you up against some of your competitors. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, in our industry, uh, and I can still plead, you know, being new, we don't really have great market share uh, metrics. Uh, this is actually something that we are going to be putting in place, uh, so stay tuned for that, uh, as we build out our broader data competencies. Um, we've been investigating our capabilities and developing them, um, as you've seen with the launch of our Market Trends Summary Report, which uh, started in March, uh, and a deeply embedded data tool in our RBAS product set. So we're really uh, leveraging and flexing the muscle that is the, the data source of Ritchie Brothers uh, to drive a lot of acumen about our business. Figuring out market share is just kind of next on the horizon, if you will. First and foremost, it was about understanding what's happening with the market and really being the leaders uh, in the data space that we are. And again, that was the launch in March uh, of the Market Trends Report. Uh, many of you have seen and then um, a much deeper integration into the RBAS product with all of the data sources available to us. But we do, in fact, believe that uh, on almost any metric, um, the trend is very positive for us. Okay, great. Um, and thanks for that again. And maybe just an unrelated follow-up. I wanted to get your thoughts on you know, how we should think about the A&M re revenue rate, um, particularly as it starts to run into some tougher comps into Q2. Um, specifically for the near term, I mean, is there any consideration um, being given to flexing commissions or fees to, to sort of optimize the overall flow through? Yeah, so Michael, it's Sharon. I can um, I'll handle that. You know, again, you're correct. We do start to cycle some pricing actions um, on the fee side that we took in June 1st of last year. Um, but again, we're seeing, um, you know, continued growth out of um, you know the the mix of assets that is really driving um, some incremental buyer fees, um, and that's just the lower items end up um, not being capped at the top end of the rate. So you know, and again, the purpose of the buyer fee was really to make sure the buyer was agnostic between which channel um, they purchased on, and so that has been highly advantageous for us. Uh, to enable this quick pivot that we've made. Um, so we expect that that rate, um, you know, to at least hold and grow slightly, but not at the same pace that we've seen over the last year. Perfect. Thank you. Again, nice quarter. Our next question comes from the line of Gary Prestopino from Barrington Research. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. And our next question is from Gary Prestopino with Barrington Research. If your line is muted, please unmute your line. 
And our next question comes from the line of Michael Feniger from Bank of America. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, th- thanks for taking my questions. Uh, just following up on, on the rate, I mean, just, just bigger picture. I know we're lapping this harmonization fee June, June 1st, but just bigger picture, Sharon, Sharon and why – can you give us the movie piece of why should rate – at go go down if at all. I mean, isn't isn't the bias for rates to go on the upside with seeing more of these small value lots? Um, you guys are adding a lot more services, uh, RBFS. Can you just walk us through the puts and takes and why in a in a year from now rate won't continue to just continue to grind higher. Uh, so again, Michael, I'll take that. Um, so just the first question was related to our A&M rate, so that does not benefit from all the services that you talked about in terms of Ritchie Brothers Financial Services. And we did say that it, we don't expect it to decline, we just don't expect the rate of increase uh, to be at the same rate that we've seen for the last year. So we are still expecting it to hold and increase. Um, and you're absolutely right, as we continue to um, drive further growth through our other value-added service offerings that don't come with KTV, um, you would see top-of-the-house um, you know, revenue rate uh, increases that um, we would expect to continue to, to drive growth in future quarters. Thanks. And the underwriting, I mean, you guys were able to put up an impressive quarter with underwriting, I think, of only 15% of GTV, very low. How do you guys manage this going forward? Uh, because obviously there's been some, some years where you have a supply-demand imbalance and, and you get caught off, off sides with the, with the at-risk portion of the business. So I'm just curious um, if you see yourself driving that 15% of underwriting up and how you guys are going about that. Yeah, so Michael and Sharon, again, I'll, I'll handle that. Um, you know, clearly, um, with the strength of our balance sheet, we believe we are one uh, and the only competitor in the space that can actually um, support underwritten business at this time, and that's going to be a much-needed service that our customers um, need as they're looking for liquidity. Um, you know, one of the things that we do look at, we have tremendous data that's available on pricing, and, um, you know, we certainly um, saw... Uh, in you know over the road trucks, we called out in Q4 that we had already begun to see pricing compression in that category, and so you know Doug Olive and our valuation team have just done a really exceptional job of mitigating our risk and exposure to those price declines um, by using that data and being very on top of where we see future pricing could be. Um, you know clearly with this. Um, both oil and gas shock and COVID-19, you know, we're certainly taking a very prudent approach to valuation. Uh, And, you know, again, uh, we will continue to take risk, um, you know, as it's required, both through taking inventory positions or guaranteed contracts um, when the right deals come along. Um, And then, you know, I'll also do a bit of a pitch for a new product that we have out which is a pricing tool, um, which we just launched this quarter, 
Uh, and so certainly that um, you know, pricing information is not only available to us, um, but it's also now available to others, um, and you have access to that through our investor website. That's helpful, and I just when you were referring, Sharon, to other downturns and dislocations in the market, I was hoping you could just flesh out how COVID is maybe impacting your ability to gain share in other asset categories. You know, obviously you have government, Gov Planet, and other platforms. Are you seeing because of your platform and investment technology? Are you guys seeing an increase in ability of the auction market and other asset categories aside from just the construction and heavy equipment that you guys have served in prior cycles? Thank you. Um, so I can start and maybe Anne, you can add some color. You know, clearly our primary business is construction assets and over the road trucks, transportation assets. Um, you know, those are and will continue to be our prime focus area, particularly in the underwriting of deals. Um, you know, so we don't, um, you know, we're not at this point looking at uh, sector expansion. Uh, we do expect that with the pressure that's now on uh, oil and gas assets, um, we do believe that that will bring um, more construction, transportation, like oil, oil field services, transportation assets to market. Um, you know, certainly we will, um, you know, endeavor to support consigners in whatever way they need and whatever assets they have. But you know, clearly, our marketing reach, uh, you know, is is really focused on driving our core asset categories, being construction and uh, over-the-road trucks. Yep, Sharon, and I would only add. So this is Anne um, that the platforms. Uh, that we have the technology investment is ubiquitous. Uh, so it's really there uh, to provide a service for their customer, for our customers uh, in whatever way they, they need us uh, to provide it. Our core customer is obviously the construction segment, but if you take a look at um, any of our sales, especially the weekly uh, featured and um, uh, marketplace E, there's quite a span of equipment that sells uh, uh, across uh, categories, anything from, um, you know, vehicles all the way to very, very heavy uh, mining equipment. So uh, the technology uh, allows it to be whatever uh, we need it to be. Uh, and in fact, it's more our customer focus, our lens, 60 years of expertise in this industry that is kind of causing construction to be our bullseye, but lots and lots of rings around that center uh, allowing customers uh, to use our platform for liquidating anything they need. And our next question comes from the line of Scott Fromson with CIBC. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, good morning. So given the pain to the uh, your competitors in physical auction, are you planning to put some initial efforts into identifying the uh, competitors' assets that could bolster certain geographies or auction product lines, or, or are you already well into this process? So, Scott, I, yeah. it's Sharon. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's um, kind of an acquisition kind of question. Is that what you're asking? Exactly. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll start. Um, you know, clearly, 
you know, our first priority is to get through this crisis uh, and make sure that we have cash available to support, um, you know, the needs of our operational business and, again, support the dividend. Uh, so although there may be opportunistic, you know, options that become available, um, that still stays our primary focus. We will look at things if they do fit our network. Um, but right now, you know, I, I would not say that's a top priority for us uh, to add on additional regional competitors. Is this something that you'd look at further down the line, or do you need to see how things really shake out? Yeah, so, you know, clearly we're always looking at acquisitions that we think make sense. Uh, you know, we've bought the technology that, um, you know, actually takes us beyond regional boundaries. Um, you know, so our approach on regional acquisitions and consolidation, uh, we believe that our technology is actually the, the primary weapon uh, to basically allow for that growth. Uh, but as, as I said, we're always open to looking at opportunities as they arise. Thanks. That makes sense. If uh, if this pandemic permanently changes the uh, kind of the landscape of how auction is done, thanks. That's very helpful. Our next question comes from the line of Ben Chernivsky from Raymond James. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Good morning. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Ben. Yeah, we can hear you. Hi guys. Um, I guess I'm trying to figure out how you like what what's the net impact for you guys uh, from the current macro environment. I mean, there's a, a couple puts and takes uh, as you've outlined. You've got you know you become the one source of liquidity. You moved your auctions all online. You have that capability. Um, you thrive off dislocations. And yet, on the other hand, you know, you're protecting the balance sheet. You've sort of withdrawn targets on ROIC. I understand the, that we just don't know where we're, like, the, you know, visibility and, and modeling is, is, is virtually impossible right now. But I guess I'm trying to figure out what the net takeaway is here. Is this, is this something that's going to be uh, even beyond the second quarter, which I appreciate is already quite visible, how does this impact your business? Is this a, is this a, uh, a net negative for the time being? Yeah, so let me start. And uh, so this is Ann. Hi, Ben. Uh, and then we'll uh, share and can, of course, uh, uh, add in. So um, modeling, I think, is, is the key word here, Ben. So we are running scenarios, taking all of the publicly available information uh, and running model after model. So we have models that look like L's that says, you know, recovery will be a ways away. We have models that look like these that have a much deeper trough, but then a fairly quick rebound. And then we have W's that kind of bounce around. Um, and under all of the scenarios, first and foremost, uh, we want to make sure that from a balance sheet and liquidity standpoint, you know, we have no issues. And that's what you heard from Sharon. So that's number one. Number two, if Q1 is a, a microcosm, then you see the puts and takes for our company are largely uh, kind of neutral to positive. In the long run, uh, we're confident it is very positive. The question for us is, what is the length uh, of the uncertainty? So less than the length of the recovery, but really the length of the uncertainty. 
Um, so if things get worse, uh, and we know there may be even more need for liquidity uh, because you know both are, let's say, going out of business, um, those things for sure uh, come our way, but they can take as much as 12 to 18 months to work through the system, the bankruptcy process, uh, until it finally makes its way to auction. If there's a snapback in recovery, um, then obviously all the stimulus packages and, uh, you know, kind of construction boom, that bodes well for us. I think what you're hearing from us is in the long run, we're very bullish, uh, obviously a very strong Q1. We believe Q2 is our biggest um, challenge. Again, April started well, uh, but the uncertainty around, uh, surrounding Q2, you know, is something we just can't look away from. Uh, it's a reality. And I appreciate that you've migrated these events online and that most people are already bidding online anyway, but um, how do you fill the pipeline of trend? Like your business is very relationship driven, very transactional. Your territory managers are out there hustling deals every day. How do you, how do you fill the pipeline of lots and transactions when you're under a lockdown, travel restrictions, customers won't let you on their sites to inspect, or if they do, it's very difficult to do that. What's the net impact of those kinds of uh, variables on your business? Yeah, so Ben, you know, I have had some really incredible learning since I've been here and uh, very positive surprises. So I think the one you're highlighting has been maybe the most positive of them all besides the fact that we were a digital company all along uh, and now just acting like it with uh, very strong live operations. So what has been very surprising in a positive way is that our sales organization is actually not missing a beat. They have moved all communications um, and uh, uh, advisory services to our client base, which of course we've had over 60 years, into a virtual environment. Uh, so completely staying on top of every development, finger on the pulse, uh, candidly even busier now uh, than they ever have been before, but needing to ensure that we're really listening and understanding our customers uh, and what their needs are, what their timelines are, and, and as Sharon said, obviously having all of the tools at our disposal, all of the data, the new pricing tool to help inform and guide uh, what our customers should do. So that's been really an incredible um, turn of events. And then secondarily, um, with the stay-in-place orders, we have had no issues thus far, very, very, um, uh, very spotty, if any at all, on inspection services. So our inspectors are out and about, obviously taking all of the health and safety precautions uh, but inspecting products, bringing them to market. So on the sales side, on the inspection side, on the supply side of the business, uh, it has stayed very, very strong in a virtual environment. It's just really a testament to this business. Yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that, and I imagine that is very impressive. I would still uh, question what, you know, what the human factor in, is in all of this, if you can really build relationships over a screen versus a fishing boat and a and a dinner in the way that the business traditionally was developed, the relationships and the trust was built. I don't know if that, maybe that's changed in the world. I guess we'll see, but I, I, I've got to think that has an impact on the long-term market development opportunities for Ritchie Brothers, for your, your sales force and tr tr territory managers. Well, let's hope in the long run we can get back to both 
fishing trips and dinners. Let's hope we're not yeah. at home forever. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and so I guess another long run question then, just given what's happened here in, uh, in your transition to the digital platform, do you see a permanent change in the model when we do come, return to normal? Like, do you think you need live auctions anymore? Do you need the big uh, bidding booths and as many sites as you've got? Or, you know, does this, I, I, I appreciate the central depository component of the business, but like the, the, the model could look radically different if you don't, if you really don't think you need these yards anymore or as many of them. Okay. So Ben, that is, that is a um, interesting question. And that's been my biggest aha since I've been here is really when I came in, um, I was thinking of our live operations versus online more as you would think about them in a retail landscape, right? So you're shopping at a physical brick and mortar store. Tomorrow, you know, I'm home and I click on a button and the warehouse that used to ship something to the physical store just ships it to my house. Um, that was my preconceived notion coming into Ritchie Brothers. What I have found coming in here is that that is really not what online versus live is for us, kind of as I, as I shared a little bit in the prepared remarks. Um, as, as you stated, the majority of our uh, actual transaction, the bidding of a live auction, already was happening online. So when we say we were always a digital company, that shift uh, was more about the technology backend, ensuring we can handle the higher volume flow, but all of our systems and processes were set up to, to handle it already because that's who we were. Live for us is really about putting yourselves in the shoes of a customer and understanding what they want to do with the equipment. And the vast majority of our customers want to hand over their equipment, you know, when they no longer need it, for, for us to handle soup to nuts. So drop it off at a site. We do the inspection. We do all the title and lean work. We prep the product. We, we, we handle, uh, you know, customers coming in to take a look before an auction. We obviously manage the transaction. And then we uh, are the ones that manage the kind of pickup and delivery part of it. Uh, that is the vast majority of our customers want that, desire that. That's a huge source of advantage for us and really world-class live operations that allow that to happen. Some portion of our customers say, no, look, I don't mind. I'm going to keep the, the product here to, you know, and handle everything remotely where we send out inspectors, uh, kind of do everything virtually with the title and lean search the customer then kind of handles um, the interaction with the seller to ensure pickup, uh, you know, and we still close the transaction. Um, so I think as, as we think about live sites, it actually has very little to do with the auction and the transaction itself. It has to do with this critical service we provide for customers for care, custody, and control of their products. We intend to be there for our customers, however, whenever they need us, and the the thinking around number of sites and all of that will be through that lens uh, in terms of providing service to our customers and not at all around, uh, you know, uh, day of auction since even before this, uh, the vast majority of that did not happen at the live auction site. Yeah, and pro you know, proximity to airport and hotels to facilitate on-site bidders and uh, those kind of factors in where you located your auctions, how big they were, the live auctions, that would all change or could all change. I think all of that is, uh, you know, in consideration, but uh, first and foremost is ensuring that we provide 
the service that our customers want, need, uh, and uh, clearly uh, value. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for answering questions. Thanks, Ben. Hey, again, as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from the line of Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Thanks very much and good morning. Um, so on, ba on balance, your outlook commentary for Q2 um, was pretty cautionary. And, and I guess I'm just trying to square that against some pretty impressive performance at the Montreal and LA auctions in April, really kind of at the height of the lockdown in this part of the world. Um, is there a reason that we shouldn't see those as sort of encouraging data points? Yep, so Sherilyn, hello, it's Anne. Um, I, that's why we're, we, uh, the, the answer is of course April encouraging. The answer also is Q2 is fraught with uncertainty. Um, for every, and this is more kind of on the macro considerations, uh, you know, or even company specific. So just some facts um, that I highlighted during the prepared remarks, but let me bring them more to life, right? It is a fact we're going to be lapping a Columbus, Ohio auction versus Q2 of last year that's not going to repeat. Um, it is a fact that our international business um, was hit hardest. Uh, and we don't expect that to significantly change in Q2. Uh, other macro considerations, and you know, we're hearing them candidly as much from you guys as, as anybody else, which is obviously the volatility in the oil and gas sector and what is that going to mean. Um, some OEMs taking production cuts, so does that mean there's a short-term supply chain impact? Uh, rental companies potentially cutting CapEx or holding on to equipment a little bit longer. Again, we believe these are um, short-term in nature. Uh, of course, the question uh, is how short-term. Um, and uh, so again, that's why we, all of that makes us cautious about Q2 uh, and you know, potentially making that the toughest quarter of the year. Your comments, uh, Sherilyn, are exactly right in terms of from any kind of reasonably long-term perspective. Um, this is a company that does well uh, period in good times and in bad. Uh, it's during uh, the short periods of uncertainty uh, that that we find ourselves here for Q2 that we want to be uh, cautious in our approach. Okay. And, and do you have any theory as to why you know the mobility of equipment and lockdowns have had a greater impact on your international territory versus domestically in North America? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit uh, back towards um, Sharon's comments in the beginning, which is they were those markets were already soft even in the back half of last year. So that's number one. Uh, number two, COVID hit first and it hit hardest. Obviously, Asia then spreading to Europe. Um, one of the first outbreaks in Italy happened to be very, very uh, close in close proximity um, to to that site. Um, so I would say the backdrop was not, uh, you know, uh, the, the trend was already soft coming in and then it was hit hardest and now it's slowly reopening. We're, we're very cautious. We're optimistic about what we're seeing. But again, the thought of that kind of turning on a dime in Q2, um, that, that is, is not, not something that we think is a high probability. 
event. Yeah. Um, and, and Carl Carl is also on the line if you wanted to add anything from an international. Sure, Sherilyn. I think the question around the border control, so the difference between North America and, and Europe mainly, you know, in North America, if someone buys something in Washington State and wants to take it to California, there's no quarantine when you go back and forth. Compared to Europe, now with the border closures, um, when a customer from Poland goes to Germany to buy something, they, the driver has to quarantine for 14 days, and vice versa when they go back to Poland, they have to quarantine. So that's kind of put a damper on how the equipment's moving from country to country, even within the EU. Okay, that's very helpful, Color. Um, maybe if I can just sneak in a last one. Um, you came to the end of your initial performance period on GovPlanet. Um, you've renewed that for a year. Maybe you can just comment on um, how you would evaluate that first uh, two-year performance period in terms of cross-selling with the existing Ritchie Brothers customer base and you know, the return on capital employed into things like warehouses and inventory. Yeah, so let me start and then maybe um, we can ask Sharon to pick up the thread. So I would say the headline for GovPlanet uh, for me is learning uh, about new competencies and new customers. And candidly, it's it has been invaluable. So as we, you know, on the surface, uh, were an auction house, but obviously, uh, and, and we've been in the GovPlanet business on the rolling stock for quite some time. Uh, really, it's the non-rolling that was new to us, required us to build warehousing competencies, a different kind of interaction with customers, uh, and I feel like that's been uh, tremendous. Uh, we obviously so good that we, uh, we extended, um, and uh, really what we're going to be doing over this next period of time um, is thinking through our competencies, how do we bolster them, um, what can this business uh, really drive, uh, the, the unique value we could add uh, to uh, the various customers, uh, obviously buyers and sellers. So we're still very much in now taking the learnings that we've had and then moving them into the space of, so what does that mean uh, long-term in, ter in terms of additional investments uh, or anything else looking forward? So we're very much transitioning to that now, now what uh, state of thinking. Sharon, anything you would like to add? No, I think you uh, you handle it in. That's great. Okay, that's all for me. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Kevin Condon with R.W. Baird. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Good morning, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, many of them have been answered, but I was hoping you could shed a little more light on what levers you have with SG&A expenses. You mentioned a fairly fixed cost base, but you know, with potentially an accelerated shift to a more digital model, Understanding you've had the online channel for a while and your physical infrastructure is still important and an advantage with online bidding, but are there opportunities to meaningfully change your costs or levers you can pull uh, to reduce SG&A, especially um, in a potentially more challenging GTV environment? Yeah, so it's Sharon. I'll, I'll handle that. Um, and so, good question. Um, you know, we've been actively monitoring our expenses for the last few years, and you know, and so we are looking mostly at productivity on a daily basis now, um, both regionally, site, to really try to understand during the downturn how best to respond. Um, and we have done some um, very small actions uh, in a couple of business units in a couple of regions 
um, but mostly um, our teams are, are fully active in particularly in our core U.S. and Canadian business, um, so we've not had to take significant actions there. Um, you know, I think your, your comment about shifting to the online model, um, you know, as long as customers still want us to take care of custody and control of their assets, um, the sites continue to be essential, the handling that, of that equipment uh, to make sure that they are cared for appropriately while they're in our possession is still essential. So we will take this opportunity to really learn during this period about um, what are the learnings around um, efficiencies that we could continue with in the long term. Um, but we you know, just really want to point out this is not uh, really a typical um, you know, B2C online business uh, and just simply because of the needs of our customers uh, and the need that they have for us to store and handle their equipment to prepare for sale. Uh, understood. Thank you. And there are no further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the call back over to Mr. Mawani for some closing remarks. Thank you, James, and thank you, everyone, for joining us on our first quarter call. If you have any further follow-up questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Otherwise, we look forward to speaking with you all again in, uh, in August for our Q2 call. With that, we'll conclude our call. Thank you very much. This does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.